Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on uh, this Thursday. Very busy show this morning leading up to uh, Staffy at midday. So for the next three hours, we shall include Sarah Hurney, uh, of course, the Black Ferns 7 captain. Uh, they're back together. They've named their squad uh, for a trip to Vancouver. Should be fantastic. So uh, we'll talk to uh, Sarah very shortly. Uh, Tim Horan will come to us uh, from Australia. Tim, of course, a legendary wallaby. Uh, he was part of our quiz yesterday, wasn't he, as the first ever Reds captain. Uh, standpoint, uh, Stan Sport commentator as well these days, uh, with a look at, more in-depth look at uh, the Australian sides and uh, what they offer coming up this weekend. Uh, we'll have uh, a chat with uh, Nick Campton straight after 10 o'clock. He's a, a league writer for ABC Sports. Uh, there's plenty of issues, uh, even midweek, without any action on the field. So much in the transfer market, the disciplinary side of things. Um, yeah, plenty to talk about there. A panel this morning, James Regan and Ross Carl. Um, and uh, after 11 o'clock, uh, we'll catch up with our man with the beautiful game, Ricardo Ball. He'll be in a pretty oh, a disconsolate mood, I would imagine. Manchester United are going from bad to worse at the moment. We'll get uh, Ricardo to talk us through that. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it was a dollar one in shortening that New Zealand rugby would come out against post-match comments by captains angled at poor officiating. They have long been a protected species, referees, but you can now add ARs and TMOs into the mix. The untouchables, Elliot Ness, would be proud. Now, it used to be labelled a thankless task, being a ref, like who'd be one? So when over the last fortnight, two of the country's highest profile players, franchise captains, Artie Severe and Aaron Smith gave honest, accurate, yet disappointed assessments of incidents, not overall performances, that met with the disapproval of the powers that be. When those players, players were standing speak, people listen. That's the problem. And apparently, that's a bad thing. So a general warning from New Zealand Rugby for teams not to overstep the mark has been issued by Chris Lendrum, New Zealand Rugby General Manager, Professional Rugby and Performance. Now there is a handle and a half. Players are encouraged to be passionate, he says. Well, quite clearly, no, they're not, mate. I was on hand to see Artie Savia's passion and obvious disappointment. I saw it also on the face and the sentiments of Aaron Smith. Disappointment is a factor in passion, believe it or not. Clearly those comments haven't met the threshold for Sanzar to pursue conduct charges against them. But respect for referees is a pretty critical value in our game. Mr. Lendrum goes on to say, So why, if they haven't met the threshold, would you feel the need to say anything at all? Clearly they were fine. Refereeing is far from the thankless task that it used to be. Gone are the days when one bloke and his performance with the whistle put it all out there. Officiating now is done by committee and over a considerably longer period of time with a great deal more help technology-wise. 
It is not a thankless task anymore. It's a career, a bloody well-paid one too, with all the perks. And as our mums and dads and teachers used to tell us, respect is earned. Right down the bottom of the Stuff article by Richard Nola is a meanwhile, a replacement for Blackburn's Glenmore, who resigned last weekend, will be announced within days. Turn on the gas element, Mr Lendrum, and get out the really big fry pan, because there's a much bigger fish that needs frying than the honesty and the passion of the players towards referees. Well, it's been an interesting year for women's rugby in this country. Uh, some really good stuff and some not quite so good stuff behind the scenes. But yesterday we did get some great news. The Blackburn Sevens are set to make their long-awaited return to the World Series circuit in Canada at the end of the month. The squad to travel to Vancouver Island was announced yesterday, uh, which includes 11, 11 of the Olympic gold medal champions from Tokyo, including our next guest, Captain Sarah Hirani of the Black Ferns. And uh, Sarah, you've been on the show before. So good, we had to have you back. How are you going? Morena, Smithy. I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm really cool. Uh, you're getting the band back together. What a great thing. 11 gold medal winners <laughs> out of 13. What a, what, a, what a reunion. Yeah, finally, eh? It's, um, oh, it's crazy to think about it like that, 11. And then, obviously, we've got two others who have played a lot of experience for our team. So... It's a, it's a pretty exciting time for us to be heading back on the on, um, across the world and playing against other international teams. Of course, you've had uh, a few things on the agenda uh, away from the sevens, and that includes, of course, uh, Super Rugby or Picky. Can you tell us, uh, now that you've had time to sit down and think about it, uh, just the, the experience itself, how did you find it? I absolutely um, loved my time with the Hurricanes Polar. It was nice to be able to go home and represent my home region. Um, to be honest, it was a real interesting time. We got to a stage of six of us um, who didn't have COVID in our team out of a squad of 28 or something. Um, so it created its challenges. We were in a bubble. We weren't really allowed to see each other. But we finally got onto the field um, and I thought put out two pretty good performances and won our last game. So... Yeah, it was awesome to be able to play 15s again, playing here in New Zealand, um, and get just in front of our home um, family and friends. Uh, Sarah, it was a, a, an abbreviated version, I think, of what they initially wanted to have it because of time constraints, uh, COVID, etc. Mm-hmm. But um, do, do you think it was a nice forerunner of things to come? I th- exactly. It's, it's the start of something um, a lot bigger than what it was. It was... Um, getting getting um, teams into franchises. I know that um, in the Hurricanes we were very well looked after from the Hurricanes Super Club, and I, like I know it's just going to get uh, continuously get better. It's now provided girls with an opportunity to have experience at that level before they head into Black Ferns camps, um, which is a big step up from Farah Palmer Cup. And it's yeah, I think it's going to continue to grow, and hopefully, maybe one day we see a Trans Tasman competition with Australia, or even um, a, a bigger competition than that. Uh, Sarah, look, returning back to the sevens, um, is it just like getting back on the bike for you girls? I mean, you know, you, you know, you know the game so well. I mean, you're the best in the world at it. Uh, is it as easy as just getting getting back on the bike and starting again, or what did, what adjustments do you have to make? 
Oh, I don't, I don't know if you can class sevens as easy at, at, at any time, but um, it's definitely been nice being back in the sevens environment around the same people. Um, being here, you learn so much. It's it's tough, but like the, I think the toughness on the field creates the massive bond that we have off the field. And we've been like other than the Olympics, we've been waiting for this moment for three, two and a half years now. And all of that time still consisted of training together away from each other. Um, so, like, it's actually we're all like, finally, this moment has come where we can travel on Sunday, where we can play in the international tournament. So, I'd say the energy is going to be pretty big come the weekend when we get to travel. What has Coach uh, Corey Sweeney's uh, main focus been when, uh, since you've been back together as such? Just that, getting us back together, creating combinations and connections again. Um, obviously we do have a very experienced team, but we have all also been in and out um, over the last few months. So we've been playing a lot against each other at trainings. Um, the only yeah, the experience comes when you get to play alongside the people who you will um, get to. So a lot of game time. Um, there's been a lot of competition for the last few weeks. So, yeah, I think our team's been... Um, going pretty well and I think Corey's pretty happy too. He's a pretty tough team to pick to be honest. So in terms of, of fitness is there a, a different type of fitness aerobically between 7s and 15s? 15s played over 80 minutes, more stoppages 7s, quick fire stuff, a lot more sprinting, a lot more covering etc over a short space of time. What about the fitness type for those two, two forms of the game that you have to get used to? Yeah, I think um, obviously having overall fitness for both is, is pretty important. 15s, you run a lot more Ks um, and like you said, have a, have a lot more rest. But in the sevens game, it's you've got 14 minutes and you have to be on the whole time. And the amount of um, like high mets or sprint meters in, in sevens is, is extremely high. And someone who's not too fast... Um, you have to be a little bit more fit to keep up with those speedy ones like Porsche and Mini and, and the like. So it is different, but I think luckily in sevens that we train at every single day, your your base fitness is quite high anyway. So, um, But yeah, it's, it's not easy, and especially when you're playing a high-speed game and having to make decisions on the fly um, and, and in quick turnarounds. Okay, so uh, we know 11 of the 13 pretty well because, after all, you are our Olympic champions. But to tell us a wee bit more about uh, Jasmine Hottam uh, and Tarina Tatamaki. Well, um, Tarina Tatamaki has a silver medal from um, the Rio Olympics, so she's been has has a lot of, a lot of experience. Um, she's been in our program for a while and. And she's one of the people who knows the opposition inside out. Um, she does a lot of work to help um, build the program, and she was actually one of the people who um, helped uh, our team win a gold medal because of the stuff that she'd done off the field. So um, excited to see her get her opportunity. Um, and then Jasmine Hotham is still a young girl in our program, but. She, she's got some speed on her, so I'm sure she's going to be running them up when she gets her chance um, on the series and uh, play centre, good ball carrier, um, and has played, uh, I think, one World Series tournament um, and then a few times against Australia and Fiji before the build-up to the um, to the Olympics last year. So, yeah, it's exciting for those two to get the opportunity again, though. 
Well, you haven't been able to be at the World Series, but have you been uh, have you been watching it, paying much attention to it? Yeah, I think I've watched um, those games a few times, especially the teams that will be playing in our pool. But I, I did find it actually real hard at the start, especially last year when they were playing in Dubai, to watch the games. Um, I think just like my attitude towards it, that we weren't there, um, that like we were sitting at home um, and while everyone else was playing and accumulating points on the World Series. And I think that was probably the most frustrating part is you win a gold medal and then you have to sit at home and wait um, for your chance to be able to, to, well, one, defend our World Series title, which unfortunately we haven't been able to do. Um, But now it's actually watching as many games as I can to get prepared to, to play these teams. The Australians uh, have had a pretty good time of it in your absence. They've won three out of the four events. How how, how have you uh, looked at them? and Have they kicked on a wee bit since the Olympics, do you feel? Yeah, I think so. I think they've got some really, um, really great players and young players in their team at the moment. And obviously... Like you know the feeling when you are disappointed from a from a pinnacle event, and obviously they would have been from the Olympics. They would have got straight back into training. Um, they would have been doing everything they can to be a better team um, than what they were at the Olympics. So I know that they're going to be a really hard team to face. Um, but we also they also don't have the experience that we have um, in in winning pinnacle events like across the board. So. It's going to be it's going to be exciting if we get to play them. Um, I hope we do, and I hope yeah we're, we're successful as well. What about other uh, other sides? Um, I mean, every time you win one, uh, you become the benchmark for for the game. I mean, it's just like um, the All Blacks. Uh, 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 you know, for a long time they were the, the side that people looked up to to try and improve. Uh, do you see that coming through in other sides too, uh, outside Australia? Yep, France, definitely there. I think Fiji has come into their own over the last couple of years. Um, And even after their success in um, Tokyo, they carried on their form. Um, They played the uh, first two tournaments in Dubai. And like every team now, they get younger players who are quick, who are strong. Um, And the game of sevens, I think, will just continue to evolve because of that. Um, and, and I like it in the women's game is where each team is trying to play a different style. Um, and it just, like, you have to be continuously thinking of what can we do to be better. And I think that's probably one thing that we always try, and that's a goal of ours back here, is can we change the game to so then no one can, like, try and defend us or attack us or whatever, the way that we're looking at it, but I think every team has to do that if they want to try and win tournaments because sevens is hard. Well, speaking of attack, uh, Portia Woodman, who is uh, iconic, of course, uh, around the world, is uh, just five tries away from being the first female player to score 200 tries in sevens. I mean, that that is amazing. How she looked in training? Oh, she looks absolutely amazing. I'm scared for people who have to defend against her. I'm lucky I get to pass her the ball, to be honest. But she's been out of the game for a long time, other than the Olympics. Um, sorry, the World Series for a long time. And like you said, five tries off, being the first female to score 200 tries, and she's still been out for four years, and no one's even still come close to that. Like, that is scary. Um, and just shows how much of a freak she really is. Um, I know she won't mind me saying that, but 
I'm just excited for her to even, like she's now talking about just excited to get on a plane, go to um, a tournament, like that's how she looks at playing sevens um, and, and travelling again. So I'm, I'm sure she's going to have a lot of fun on this tour um, and on and off the field. Uh, one of the names that's missing quite clearly is uh, Ruby Tui, and aside without Ruby Tui for a number of reasons, if not only the, the play on the field, but um, the way she's received off the field as well is quite unusual. So she's not going to be there, which will be um, a, a bit unusual, I guess, for the girls. But uh, she's opted to uh, to stay on and train for or try and focus on the Black Ferns ahead of the World Cup. So juggling 15s and 7s commitments must get a bit tricky. How do you manage to do it? Um, yeah, I, like I um, am going to miss Ruby. She, she, although she has been training with us um, a few days a week just to keep up her fitness and things like that, so it, it, it will be a lot different. Um, and but like I, I love that she's made this decision for her. She's obviously um, hasn't yet played for the Blackburn 15 side and really wants to fully commit to to try and make that team. So oh, it's an exciting time for her. Um, and she's pretty much done it all in sevens as well. So, but she's still around. She still helps us out, especially with the off-field um, leadership and, and culture side of, of our game. And so, really fortunate for that. But it is it is hard in the sense that we're obviously training for two separate games. But I think the the skills are still um, somewhat transferable. But um, yeah, obviously Ruby's decided to do that, and and it, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool for her. Well, Sarah, we've just had a, a Cricket World Cup for women, which uh, was, I think, regarded as pretty successful, apart from the fact that uh, our girls weren't able to make it through to the playoffs. But aside from that, I think it so uh, lifted the profile of women's cricket in this country and around the world, the way it was brought to everybody. Um, <coughs> I think uh, this is probably going to be one of the most exciting times then for, for women's rugby the next uh, six to eight months in this country. If, if you look at cricket as a guideline, uh, then rugby's got a lot to make out of this, I think. I absolutely loved the Cricket World Cup, Smithy. Um, that playing here in New Zealand was yeah, an absolute buzz. And like, I'm absolutely proud of the way that the White Ferns um, played, held themselves. They played some amazing, exciting matches. So, yeah, I think it was it was awesome to see the New Zealand public get around, um, not just the White Ferns, but I think the, the Cricket World Cup as a whole. And similarly, I think, we can, um, the women's rugby, our game can learn a lot from that um, that success and and I think that the, the momentum will now start to build as we get closer to the Home World Cup and like I just I honestly hope that um, like people get to games, people in small towns support, whether we're supporting the Black Ferns or a team just to get around the World Cup buzz and um, and I know that countries who come here and play are going to absolutely love being around New Zealand and, and what it has to offer as well. Well, uh, your tournament in Van on Vancouver Island is April 30th to May the 1st. Sarah, uh, after that, what's on the plate for you? More sevens or that focus on the 15s? Uh, no, a lot. we've got a lot more sevens to go. We're, we'll play in Langford. Um, the team will then fly over to France and play um, three weeks after Langford in, in Toulouse. Um, then we come home. We've got a Com Games build-up for sevens. We've got a sevens World mm. Cup and then hopefully transfer over to 15s after that. So a busy year for women. Wow, but, but it's yeah. 
certainly is a busy and a, an exciting year. Uh, and for you two uh, in particular, Sarah, uh, thanks so much for your time this morning. Great to see you girls back on the road again, and uh, it'll lift the ratings incredibly, I know that. So uh, fantastic. Uh, all the best over there uh, at Langford, and after that, uh, for that program coming up. Sounds like uh, it's going to be a hell of a year for you. Great fun. Good luck. Thanks so much, Tony. Appreciate your support too. Yeah, no problem at all, Sarah, um, and we do. We sincerely wish you all the best uh, with your wonderful 13 uh, that have been named. Uh, the band is back together officially. That is the good news, so uh, we look forward to that coming up. Yep, April the 30th through to May the 1st, back in action. Uh, that is the, the Black Fern Sevens. Fantastic. And 9.23 here on SENZ. Uh, <coughs> what's the subject we can talk about today? 0800 150 811 8833. Uh, I had a couple of things in my mind, actually. Um, uh, yeah, uh, particularly Joseph. Uh, Woody, how do you feel if you're Joseph Parker? Because is that possible that uh, Joseph Parker might have to fight uh, Tyson Fury? How do you reckon that would go? Uh, to be perfectly honest, um, there's that. There's also the fact um, of players not being able to comment uh, comment on uh, officials. I mean, I'm not here to say that you can swear at them and abuse them or anything of that nature, but you, surely you must be able to have an opinion on how things have affected you in the game, as long as it's balanced. What's wrong with that? I mean, why, why can't we hear the, the two of the most fascinating interviews we've heard over the last two weeks? Um, there's been no real outcry from the referees over the whole deal, but what there has been is some honesty, and, and people have appreciated and taken note of those comments as well. I, I don't see the issue with that. Do you? Uh, 0800 150811. Text us on 8833. There's the first couple of subjects we can mull over in the next two and a half hours. 9.24. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. That is uh, 9.29 here on uh, SENZ in the mornings. Uh, Hone has come in from Tokomaru Bay, my old mate. Uh, Marina Smithy update, latest uh, Tyson Fury versus Dylan, Dillian White. Uh, interviewed this morning, yes, White turned up and they were very respectful to each other, which was a good change from the slanging rubbish that uh, usually is associated with boxing. So that's good news. Looks like that fight will go ahead and a big sigh of relief, I would imagine, from Joseph Parker because of that as well. He probably picked him up and took him to the interview. Uh, I would have. Uh, so uh, we've got Tim Horan coming up uh, very shortly. Uh, thanks very much for the texts that are coming in. They will be read out in the next half hour after Timmy Horan as well. A number of issues. And I, I forgot, of course, uh, Sarah was uh, talking about the, uh, the World Cup going around New Zealand. Well, of course, it's not. Uh, it's going to Whangarei and it's going to Auckland. That's about as far as it goes. So um, what do you think about that? And uh, will you be making the effort to go? I've had a couple in there already about that. Let's get... Uh, straight to the news because I want to get to Tim Horan in a bit of a hurry. Here's uh, Ottawa with our 9.30 update. Uh, texts uh, have come in uh, from uh, Michael's just come in and said, who is the free-to-air broadcast uh, women rugby World Cup partner? And uh, I'm led to believe uh, that is Logan TV3, is that correct? Uh, it sure is and uh, later on in the panel we actually have James Regan from News Hub who comes out of that uh, 3 slash Discovery Stable and of course Ross Carl from Sky Sport a lot of really cool stuff coming out of there actually with uh, Fruity Air Sport coming to our screens 
Okay, that's cool. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to those guys in the panel. That's uh, uh, around about uh, nine, uh, 10.20, about 10.20 this morning. Uh, is it a home World Cup? To me, it is a Blues Territory World Cup, says Richie. All the games are being played north of the bomb base. Disappointing, he says. Uh, so obviously, for not saying that Richie won't be going, he's just saying that he would have nice to have seen it uh, more close to his backyard. And I would imagine that is probably the opinion of uh, most people around the country who uh, I would be uh, still be surprised to find out that if everyone knows exactly where those venues are up north as opposed to thinking that it was going to come closer to home. Uh, with the character assassination of Glenn Moore lately, did you see what Portia Woodman and Kelly Brazier said about him on TV1 Sport last night? Finally, some balance, but too late for Glenn Moore. That's uh, from Chris. No, I didn't see it. I did not see that interview, so... Uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, Logan, you did. Yeah, I, right? I did. Um, Portia Woodman definitely uh, spoke very fondly uh, of Glenn Moore, and you could definitely see, I guess, the disappointment to see him go. Uh, so definitely there was a, probably a split uh, kind of feelings around the camp maybe on on that whole decision, but definitely a popular player. He did a lot for the Black Ferns as well. So there is definitely, as, as you see, as you hear there, a uh, bit of disappointment to see him gone. Taking a punt here and saying I think the majority would be disappointed. There you go. I, I would say the majority of the players uh, would be disappointed because they, they got to know him, they got to know his style. and uh, Yeah, okay. Uh, crazy that uh, rugby players are effectively being censored in their interviews. But how about we hear more from the referees so that they can discuss and explain their decisions? If they could do that, surely it would be beneficial for players, coaches and supporters. That's from Aidan Havelock North. Well... Uh, there's long been a muzzle on referees. I remember once we got Steve Walsh, the younger, uh, he was quite willing to step up and, and, uh, and say something after the game, and we only did it once because that was knocked on the head very quickly. So, um, yeah, um, the, uh, the referees shouldn't have to explain themselves. Uh, that is basically it. If they do, they explain themselves uh, to their boss, who uh, effectively I think is Bryce Lawrence or the Sanzar boss, whoever that might be. And that's uh, who they feel responsible to, not um, not having to be responsible to us, uh, the paying public. Uh, these guys are professional. We need to ensure refs are paid enough to make it a credible career. Well, uh, I think you'll find they're pretty happy with their. I mean, everyone would like more money than what they're getting, but I wouldn't mind uh, wouldn't mind uh, betting that uh, some of their salaries might surprise you. Um, to be perfectly honest, uh, Liam has come in and said. We need to stop uh, wrapping refs in cotton wool. It's a professional sport. The refs need to be held accountable before, before, before performances like the players and coaches. If you can't handle criticism, put the whistle down and go back to your day job. Well, this is their day job, Liam. Um, it is. They make a commitment, of course. Uh, a lot of them referee all around the world, uh, particularly if they get to the highest level. Um, and for that reason, <coughs> it'd be, uh, uh, I mean, it is, it is um, a big commitment to them. Uh, they have to have a certain level of fitness. Of course, they have to understand the rules. But uh, from time to time, uh, we would like to hear from them and just uh, know what was going through their mind. And last couple of weeks would have been a classic example from that. Incidentally, we're, we're waiting for Tim Horan. He's uh, trying to get through Brisbane Airport, I think, as we speak. He's on a, about to catch a flight to go to Melbourne for this weekend, of course, which is, uh, which is of course, uh, the, um, the, the big weekend of uh, Super Rugby Pacifica taking note. I just wonder if we could take a, a, a maybe take a break here, uh, Logan, and then uh, eat into one of those ones later with Tim's uh, interview. Is that possible? Or we 
technology-wise, can't we do that? Uh, Technology-wise, we could, although I think, Smithy, while he is getting through uh, the airport security there, uh, we also have this really awesome thing that we do here at SCNZ, and that is pacing for purpose. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, pacing for purpose, season two. Oh, wow, okay. Sprung that on me. Uh, let's have a go. Uh, we have this Harness Racing New Zealand pacing for purpose, and uh, effectively what we do is uh, we pick a horse each week or one gets picked on our behalf, and uh, any winnings go to uh, the charity of our choice, and our charity is uh, Women's Refuge. Um, and at the moment, our total is 260 bucks uh, raised for that uh, particular worthwhile, very worthwhile uh, charity, of course. Now, this week's uh, harness racing pick is to raise uh, funds uh, out of Invercargill. Uh, it is uh, race nine, number 11, anything goes. Uh, two from two, one both convincingly, so I wouldn't imagine it's paying a hell of a lot, anything goes. But on that form line, you'd have to be thinking that it's a, a big chance a big chance in the race. So uh, that is our pacing for purpose uh, horse for the weekend. Um, and other news, I'll just uh, flick around and see what we can come up with here while we're waiting for the phone to ring. Hopefully uh, Tim Horan will answer his phone very quickly. I can see Brian working away, our expert on the panel. And uh, we have got news coming through. No, no news coming through at that point. So uh, we're going to be talking to Ricardo Ball after... Uh, um, 11 o'clock this morning and that will keep us uh, updated on the, the scores from uh, football around the world. Uh, Tim's there actually which is great news, you can just hear me uh, talking a lot of rubbish while we're waiting for Tim to get through and uh, we're joined now by, I'm pleased to say by Tim Horn of course, uh, former Wallaby great, uh, Red stalwart uh, and now uh, a commentator, highly respected rugby commentator uh, who was uh, off to Melbourne I understand Tim, good morning to you, you're going to be teaming up with Mertens and Marshall, I know those two at least, so uh, I, I, I hope you put, I hope you got your gun boots on. G'day Smithy, yeah, great to uh, chat mate, yeah, just heading across to Melbourne, which will be exciting, of course, super round as you know, and it's been a, a long time coming, but uh, I think, you know, all the New Zealand teams, of course, you know, really looking forward, to, I'm sure, to getting out of New Zealand, but just travelling. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. Uh, you know, uh, I think you can only play enough uh, mate against mate until you want to just branch out a wee bit, and that's the case. I've spoken to a, a couple of franchises who are so looking forward to being on the road because it's a, it's a great time, if nothing else. So, uh, hey, look, from what you've seen, Tim, and, and I imagine you've kept a pretty close eye on our comp as well uh, when you've had the opportunity, uh, do you think, from your perspective, the gap might have closed? I think compared to um, last year, Smitty, I think it has. I think, you know, when you look at, um, you know, where were the Australian teams were last year, there was a lot of younger players that came into our competition and needed a bit more sort of time on the paddock. And I think we're much better prepared this time. I think um, I think last year we did, we weren't too sure because we were playing our own Super Rugby AU competition. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, we, we the Reds won that competition. There was a... You know, a lot of fanfare around that, and then all of a sudden New Zealand came in. I think this time we know what was coming, um, and I think we're, you know, the Australian teams have tried to up their skill level and, and to try and, you know, get close as we can to the New Zealand teams. You know, hopefully this weekend we can maybe win one, maybe two games, but it's still going to be tough for us. But um, I think our skill levels are a lot better than what it was this time last year. Yeah, news coming through already that uh, the Moana Pacific uh, game against the Western Force has been postponed because of. 
Uh, COVID in the uh, Western Force camp, which uh, is uh, an issue that just can't be avoided these days, Tim. But it does kick off uh, on Friday night with the Chiefs against the Waratahs. And uh, our understanding is that the Waratahs are on the improve. They are, Smitty. Yeah, they've been um, really good, really impressive. I watched them really early in the season. They had three trial games um, before the season started, and we looked at that, and they won all three. One was against the Brumbies, one the Reds, and one another. I think it might have been the Western Force, but I think they... They're a good young team that have been around now for with the same side for about this is probably their third year together. A new coach, Darren Coleman, who you know he virtually walks out in the field for warm-ups in a pair of flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt, and just he's very relaxed. But he's also got the respect of the players and and the players, especially Will Harris at number eight, has been really good. Isaiah Parisi at, at twelve or thirteen has been sensational. So they've taken a lot of step forward, Smitty. Well, uh, two new teams into uh, the competition this year, of course, Tim, on our side of the Tasman Moana Pacific have I think, made a pretty impressive um, uh, introduction into the competition. They've won one. Uh, they've been very physical. They've, uh, they've pushed the envelope on a number of sides as well. Um, and then, of course, on your side of the Tasman, uh, the Fijian Drua uh, have had a win as well. How have you rated their first season in? Yeah, I think um, Fiji and Drew have been sensational. I've commented on a few of their matches, Smitty, and obviously most of us didn't know many names in the in the Fiji and team, apart from a couple of um, players. But m- most of them have been f- sensational. And, and the hard thing for Fiji and Drew is they've probably been a little bit shy in their first four or five rounds. And um, there was a couple of games. One was against the Queensland Reds. One against I think it was the Melbourne Rebels. They they scored three tries in the last five minutes of the match to make the match a lot closer. So. Um, Hambossi on the wing's been sensational so um, a lot of these players now we're starting to get to know who they are um, on the field but also who they are off the field and and hopefully Smitty, not just the Fiji and Drew but the Moana Pacifica um, it attracts you know those players from offshore back from overseas back to play for their country Yeah I think it's only good from what we've seen it's, it's only been good in fact I echo your thoughts uh, much much better than we feared in terms of the result margins as well, Tim, I, I, I just I, I just think it's been um, I hesitate the word to say pleasant, but it's been good because there's something something new and exciting. I think it's refreshing too, Smitty. I think when you look at, um, we've all seen what what the Pacific Islands could do in in seven aside, and we've seen that with Fiji and Samoa recently, and and it's just great to have. There's a pathway now for people who are who are you know whether they're born in the Pacific Islands or they're born in Australia or New Zealand, but have that Pacific Island heritage. They've got a they've got a pathway, and that's really important for especially also in Australia as well. You know, Western Sydney, there's a lot of Pacific Island players and, and it just gives them you know, an opportunity to go, OK, well, I can, can get to professional footy. Reds, Hurricanes, your beloveds uh, against the Hurricanes who have had a mixed season. How do you see that? Oh, it's going to be very tough. Um, you know, I love watching Artie Savia and his team and TJ and, you know, it's, it's, they're a fantastic team and, you know, on their day, they can beat anyone in the world. I think they're probably be, you know, anyone in the world you know, this weekend, um, the Reds will be the ones in the firing line. So Queensland Reds, they've lost a couple of players the last four or five weeks through injury, as every team does, but the big one is James O'Connor's out with a knee injury for about three or four weeks now, Smitty, so that's a big loss for the Reds, and um, you know, hopefully they can come back from that, And because they've got a good role on them. I mean, they lost one match, and they beat the Brumbies a couple of weeks ago. Interesting too, I mean the, the Reds are coached for, by Brad Thorne of course, he's iconic uh, over here as a, a terrific all black and a, and a great guy all round and 
Uh, of course, during the week you made, or just uh, last week you made some headlines for and a, a comment which I couldn't quite get my head around. He said, down the track I would relish the chance to coach the Wallabies, but um, it didn't seem to go down that well in a few areas. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think every coach, like, you know, there should be a pathway for, you know, even the super rugby coaches in New Zealand. If you're coaching, you know, the Blues or you're coaching the Crusaders or whoever you're coaching, you want to aspire to coach the All Blacks. And I think that's probably the same in Australia. And Brad Thorne was just saying it'd be an honour. Uh, and he speaks from the heart, Brad, and he'd be honoured to coach the Wallabies one day. Um, and he's a long way off that. He probably knows that. But, um, you know, Dave Rennie's got the, the job for a couple more years and hopefully past that. Um, we just got to be careful. We don't. Sometimes we, you know, we have a wallaby coach and we say, "Okay, who's the next in line? Who's the next in line after the next in line?" So we've got to be very careful. But um, yeah, Brad's doing a great job with the Queensland Reds, and um, he's got very good assistant coaches, and um, he's got a structure in place now that he's got a big depth in that team. I think one of the round, uh, matches of this first uh, round between the two nations, uh, Tim, is. Uh I think the Highlanders versus the Brumbies is is good. Uh, now the Highlanders' record, yeah. you look at it on paper, it's not good, uh, you know. But and the Brumbies have has, uh, always been right up there towards the top in, in your competition. Now I think this is a good barometer to see where the gap is. Well, when you look at you know the Highlanders over a long period of time, how good they are, and you know one of my favourite players, you know um, Smithy at nine, he's going to be very vocal, and you know he want to he want to lift his team. I mean Aaron Smith, one of the best nines in the world, if not probably the best nine in the world, and um, for him he needs a forward pack going forward, and this Brumbies forward pack is one of the better ones I've seen. They're aggressive, they're young, um, they've got a couple of experienced players. James Slipper comes off the bench, so. The full package of Brumbies. Um, very unlucky to lose against the um, the Reds. Um, the Queensland Reds three or four weeks ago really put them to the hammer and were the only side so far to see them being unsettled. So, And Dan McKellar, he, he's the best coach in Australia at the moment. Um, has been for a couple of years the coach of the Brumbies. So it's going to be a cracking game. Uh, Tim, overall, uh, we're hearing uh, in this side of the uh, country that, uh, that things, uh, viewer numbers exactly uh, haven't been that good. Um, because of the predictability of the competition and, and uh, I'm not quite sure why because with COVID you would have thought people would have jumped at the chance to, to have some sort of entertainment. But however, over in Australia, um, how's the competition being received? It's been great to me. I think off the back of what happened last year, you know, when we looked at Super Rugby AU last year and the, the matches between the Reds and the Brumbies were sensational and um, there was a couple other matches that were great as well. So I think it's been really well received and I think it's a really good um, opportunity for us in Australia, especially early on in this competition. We get a jump on the other codes. We get the jump on three or four weeks in NRL, a couple of weeks on the AFL. So... Um, and we performed pretty well. We've held our numbers, and you know, broadcast um, rights have been you know really important for the game. And you know, I just think that the the game here, there's a lot of rugby supporters, and you know, but the big thing for us is we we need the Wallabies to be winning matches. That's our shot window shop front, and and we're building into that. You got a, a great shop window first up with three tests against England. God, I'm looking forward to those. <laughs> yeah, can't wait, Smitty. Of course, uh, Eddie Jones, the former Wallaby coach, will bring the, the England team out, and they're going to be a really strong team. And, and that's probably where our big downfall was, Smitty. Played, obviously, the World Cup final in 2015 against the All Blacks, and then, you know, four or five months later, we're losing three matches in a row against England in Australia. So that was our big downfall for a couple of years. So it's a really important test series coming up in July. Look forward to it, Tim. Look forward to your calls this weekend. Busy weekend for you. I uh, hope you uh, 
have a great time and and uh, we have some great even matches. I think the comp deserves that and needs that. So thanks for your time again, mate. Always appreciate it. Good on you, Smitty. Yeah, yeah, great to chat, mate. And looking forward to um, yeah calling these matches and having all the viewers from New Zealand watching. And um, hopefully the Aussie teams can pick up maybe one or two matches. Who knows? Yeah, good, Tim. Thanks very much for your time this morning. Travel safe. It is 9.48 here on SENZ. Uh, time for a break. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, Coco Goff lost her tennis match yesterday to Kasakina, so uh, that multi went down the girdler today. The Philadelphia 76ers to beat Toronto in the NBA at a buck 78. Uh, Sharks to beat Manly, dollar 45. Mumbai Indians to beat Chennai in the IPL tonight, a buck 83. That'll return $4.72. Uh, after the break, uh, we're going to be talking to Nick Campton, uh, senior writer for ABC Sports. Everything about the NRL transfers, discipline, the whole kit and caboodle coming up after the news with Araha at 10. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.03 here in New Zealand, uh, slightly earlier in Australia where we go now because the NRL is never short of drama and controversies, uh, let alone on the park. Uh, we also see and hear plenty off the field as well. Now, yesterday, Phil Gould, I uh, was tweeting about uh, asking the NRL for a special exemption with COVID going through the ranks of the Bulldogs on top of all their injury woes. Uh, also, Caelan Ponga and his dad have been all over the headlines and more and joining us uh, to make uh, sense of it all uh, is an exceptional writer for ABC Sports over in Australia, Nick Campton. Good morning to you, Nick. Uh, I wonder if we can begin by uh, talking about uh, Phil Gould's tweet and uh, whether that'll come to fruition, will they get uh, some sort of special exemption, uh, the Canterbury Bulldogs? Morning, Smithy. I, I, I think the Bulldogs will have to get an exemption. You know, these are just the times that we live in. And if the competition wants to keep running with COVID, these sorts of things are going to happen. There's going to be outbreaks in teams. Teams are going to lose a lot of players on short notice. And I think, I think Phil Gould is right to ask for an exemption, and I'd be very, very surprised if he doesn't, if he doesn't get one. You know, like Canterbury probably don't need any more, any more drama or any more, um, no. any more blockages to, to what they're doing. It's been a tough season for them, but um, they'll have a team on the park on the weekend, which I guess is uh, all we can ask for in these storms. And hopefully COVID is sort of uh, on the wane, to be fair, and, and won't affect uh, too many games in this competition. So it wouldn't set uh, such a dangerous precedent, would it? No, no, I don't think so. I think everyone understands that these are extraordinary circumstances that we're, that we're dealing with. And like you say, you know, fingers crossed, touch wood, all of that, that we are closer to, to the end of this pandemic than the start. And I think this is that sort of thing that people will accept as being an exceptional circumstance at this time. I don't think people are expecting this to become a regular occurrence once, uh, once COVID's finally done with. So, Nick, what, what effectively would that exemption mean? Uh, just a delay in this game, a postponement of, of this game against the Broncos, or uh, maybe a bit longer? 
I don't think it would be a, a delay or a postponement. I think it would just be uh, bringing players from outside their regular squad into the team for the for the match against Brisbane. You know, because of the uh, right. commitments to broadcasters and all and all that sort of thing. And the NRL's shown itself to be uh, very aware of its commitments to the broadcasters. I think postponing games is literally the the very last option. That's the nuclear option. So I think what will happen is some players will come up from. From reserve grade, maybe guys that aren't officially affiliated with the Bulldogs' top squad, they'll fill in for a week or two. Maybe the lower grade games get postponed um, because, you know, once those guys get dragged up, you need to find guys to replace them and all of that. But I would assume the first grade game goes, the first grade game goes ahead as scheduled. Okay, good. Look forward to that then. Uh, that will be on Friday. Uh, and there's an interesting story for uh, us in New Zealand as well as rugby league fans in general because uh, this is the story of Tamari Martin, who is named to start at uh, fullback uh, for the Broncos. Now, this is after being sidelined for three years following a brain bleed that everyone thought would rule him out of the game forever. So um, this is one, uh, one heck of a story, I, I feel. Absolutely, absolutely, Smithy. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how, how Tamari does when he gets back into first grade, because as everyone knows, you know, he was a, a very promising young player with the Panthers and the Cowboys and played for New Zealand and played in a grand final and all that. And it's not often that you get a second chance at a career when, when something like what happened to him happens. You know, he, he had bleeding on the brain. It was extremely serious. He had to pretty much accept that at 22 or 23, the thing that he'd been working for his entire life, his rugby league dream was, was over, you know. And, but he, but he, went, he went back home. He played a bit of local footy. And I, I don't know how it managed to turn around because you hear bleeding on the brain and you think, well, that's something that... Once that happens, that can't unhappen. But um, he's, he's managed to, to really pick up the pieces and Brisbane signed him on a training trial in the off-season. I know they've been really impressed with his attitude and his application and, and everything like that. And, yeah, it's wonderful to see him back in first grade. I, I wonder how he's going to go playing fullback, given he's been training at 5'8 and playing 5'8 playing in reserve grade all year. But um, he's definitely got a fan in me. I, I, I hope he goes out and has a blinder and and uh, really gets back to the, the player he was a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a terrific story. So uh, we'll watch with interest and uh, hope he gets through it. Uh, okay, so uh, one of the other things which has been capturing the headlines, rightly or wrongly, has been the, the saga around uh, Kalen Ponga. Um, his dad, of course, being um, uh, raked over the coals because he's not an, an official agent, we're told, so should have been uh, keeping his nose out of it officially, but... Uh, it seems that it's over. So what are the details around this uh, contract extension? Well, it's, <laughs> the basic details is it's a long extension for a lot of money. I think the Pongas have ended up getting the, the, the length of the deal they wanted and they've ended up getting the, uh, the payment that they've wanted. But I think they've had to give up a little bit of the power that they had over Newcastle. Like, as, you, as you'd be fully aware, Kalen Ponga had a lot of clauses and a lot of options in his last contract that... He could activate if Newcastle didn't win a premiership. He could activate if he wanted to uh, switch to rugby to try and make the All Blacks. There were a lot of a lot of caveats in that deal, but I think Newcastle were just so desperate to keep him at that time that they were willing to agree to it. I think this time Newcastle are approach have approached it a little bit differently. They they want to hold more of the power. They want to be able to tell Kalen, well, no, we're paying you all this money. You're the face of our club. We're not going to put in all these get out clauses for you. If you're signing for five more years. We want you to be here for the full five. No caveats, no nothing. Just you're a Newcastle guy now until, until the contract runs out. I don't think the, 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 
the scales of power have totally tipped towards Newcastle because you could see Andre Ponga in that press conference yesterday, even though he's not an accredited agent. So, but I, I do think this could be this could be part of a change. This could be the start of a process where Newcastle are telling the Pongas what to do rather than the Pongas telling Newcastle how it's going to be. And I think on the whole, that's going to be a positive a positive for the club, you know. And I, I, I like I like this deal for Newcastle because everyone can say, you know, oh, well, Caelan Ponga, he gets injured sometimes. He's not as consistent as he should be. There's, a, there's still a wonderful player in him and he's still just scratching the surface of, of his own talents. So I think Newcastle is a good place for him to continue to develop that. The money's probably a little bit high, but you're going to have to pay that to secure a player of his profile. So I like it for player and club, and I'm glad that they've managed to straighten it out. But uh, I'll watch with interest to see where he goes from here. Well, Nick, that's uh, obviously one player that Wayne Bennett can't get his hands on, so um, he's still look, looking around. Just just how are uh, the Bennett signings going? We haven't heard much uh, on this side of the Tasman about uh, the Dolphins' uh, progress in, in formulating their squads. Yeah, well, it looks really, I think it's get, starting to get to pretty, to pretty desperate states. They've, they've signed a few guys who are nice squad fillers, you know, like the Bromwich boys and Felice Cafusi, but they need a star. They really need a star. They really need to get someone that, that uh, Redcliffe can get behind. They really need to sign someone that makes the rest of the NRL sit up and take notice and realise, oh, wow, the Dolphins are serious. They're not to be trifled with. And they've lost out on a lot of those guys, I think, they're really, really, really betting the farm on getting either Cameron Munster or Reese Walsh. Because if they don't get either of those two guys, there's not really any big Queensland stars left. And I think that's something they really need to launch to launch this franchise. So I, I think now Munster is firmly in the crosshairs. And then I think Walsh is, is, is the more secondary target. But if they don't get either of them, I'd start having serious concerns about what that roster is going to look like in season one, because like you say, there just hasn't been as much movement as we would have anticipated. They've been linked to so many different players, but just can't seem to close the deal on any, on anybody who's high profile or young or in their prime. So while I'll always have faith in Wayne Bennett to work it out, there have been a, a, a long run of misses for them in the recruitment department, and you know the clock is ticking. Yeah, I mean, uh, just from the outside looking in, and you mentioned Reese Walsh, that I mean, that uh, sounds like a mouth-watering amount of money for uh, a young guy who's still uh, very much proving himself uh, in the NRL, doesn't it, if that, would, if that would come to pass? Yeah, yeah, it is. But I, I think that's, what, that's where the Dolphins are at. I think they're going to have to pay, if they want to get Reese Walsh, they're going to have to pay him on potential rather than what he's already done. They're going to have to bet that the flashes of brilliance that we've seen over the last 18 months are going to continue and he's going to develop into one of the best players in the league. Like, I think everyone agrees that Welsh has has that football in him, like it's a possibility. But they're going to have to pay him like it's like it's already happened, you know. And I, it, it could be a difficult one, especially with the with the Warriors looking to relocate back home in a couple of months. You know, Reese Welsh is a Queensland boy. He's been able to stay in Queensland while he's been with the Warriors this entire time. So maybe the lure of home will be a, a bit too much for him to resist. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, yeah, that, one thing's for sure, I don't think the Dolphins will be beaten on price. They'll, uh, they'll roll out the checkbook. OK. Uh, good luck. Uh, good luck, Reese. maybe, uh, or Cameron anyway. So, hey, look, let, let's look at what the Warriors have managed to do this week in terms of signing. Cameron, George and co. have uh, been able to sign Mitchell Barnett, uh, which is an interesting one. That's for three years, and uh, he's got a history, uh, Mitchell. So uh, what have they brought him to here? 
Well, it's 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 an interesting one, Smithy. Barnett's got a lot of a lot of ability. I don't think anybody would would dispute that. You know, he can play in the middle and he can play on the edge, and he can play both positions equally well. So just being able to do that makes him makes him a valuable player. But the aggression that he brings to the game is just such a double edged sword. And every time it seems like he's grown up and matured and left some of the rubbish behind, something something else happens. He does something else when the red mist takes over, like. That that shot against Penrith, that's one of the that's one of the ugliest things I can remember seeing on a footy field for a really long time. And it was totally needless as well, you know. So while I understand his talent is something that the club that the club can believe in, I would also hope that the Warriors can um can can just sort of shave those rough edges off him, you know, really kind of turn him into the play that he's long promised to be. And and maybe Nathan Brown saw something in him in those days back in Newcastle, maybe Nathan Brown feels like he can uh, unlock something in Mitch Barnett that hasn't quite been unlocked yet. Um, but I guess I guess we'll I guess we'll have to wait and see. I I don't mind it for the Warriors this year. I think a little bit more forward depth is is always a good thing. I'm not quite sure where he fits in when everyone's fit, particularly when Tohu Harris is back. You know, and and because because they they can they can kind of do the same job in both playing middle and edge and everything like that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm tentatively tentatively optimistic about that one. Okay, uh, we know you're a Sean Johnson fan and we've had seen enough of Sean back in Warriors colours to have a decent old reflection now. Uh, how have you made his return to New Zealand? Oh, well, uh, you're, you're damn right. I'm a, I'm a Sean Johnson fan and for me, it's been one of the, the feel-good stories of the NRL season, you know? Like, I don't think Sean ever really wanted to leave the Warriors. I think he was more forced out than anything else and I don't think he ever thought he'd get this chance to come to come or to come back to the club and... And play again, and you can see in the aftermath of that win over the Cowboys when he spoke so emotionally about how much he loved the club and how much it meant to him. That was that's um, an honesty and a and and a and a true love for his to, for one's team that I don't think you see in a lot of NRL players these days. You know, and I think he's playing well. I really like his combination with Harris Tevita. I think they complement each other really, really nicely. You know, Johnson's you know the organizer and the game breaker, and then Harris Tevita is so rugged and tough and helps kind of set the tone for the Warriors defensively and, and everything like that. So I know it's, with Johnson, it's always going to be a question of can he stay on the field because we, he's had all those injury troubles. But I think as long as uh, he's there with Harris Tavita, the Warriors can give anyone a run on their day, you know. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that it's, that it's worked out for player and club. Okay, so that means uh, on April 25th, which is, uh, of course, the Anzac Day fixture, it's pretty traditional, Melbourne against... Uh, the Warriors, Johnson will be there. Um, but sometimes the Warriors actually push the storm a lot closer than a lot of people think. In fact, they've beaten them from time to time. How do you see this matchup? Well, I must say the Warriors have exceeded my expectations a little bit already this year, but um, they're coming up against an entirely different animal this time around. Melbourne just look so, so impressive all the time. They just score points so easily through that brilliant spine of theirs. And, you know, I know the Warriors have pulled off a couple of ambushes on Anzac Day in the past, um, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them put in a really good effort, but it's just it's impossible to go past the storm, isn't it? It, it? it wouldn't surprise me if the Warriors give them a good go for about 60 minutes and then maybe fall off in the last 20, maybe a little bit similar to, to what the Sharks did last week, um, and then we end up with a, a scoreline where we say things like, well, you know, that doesn't reflect the effort of the Warriors. They, they put in a really good shift, you know, so... But it's definitely a litmus test, and I think that's something the Warriors kind of need at the minute. I think they really need to see what the best in the competition is like and, and how they measure up against it. 
Well, the Tigers, uh, who were bottom without a win, they finally got one uh, at the weekend, of course, and this weekend they're up against uh, the, the Rabbitohs. Uh, Michael Maguire's got uh, two hats, of course. Uh, he coaches uh, West Tigers, but he also coaches uh, the New Zealand Kiwis, of course. So how secure in both jobs would you feel Michael Maguire is at the moment? Well, with the Tigers, he definitely bought himself a, a little bit of time. How much is difficult to say? Like, say they lose their next four in devastating fashion, the drums will start beating again. But for the next couple of weeks, at least, he's secure with his Tigers job. With the New Zealand job, I actually think it's the other way. I think he's, he's very secure in that position. The New Zealand Rugby League has come out and backed him a couple of times this year already. Um, I know it's been a long time since he's played in any international footy, but he has a good record as, as coach of New Zealand. He steered him to a, to a win over Australia at the end of 2018 that was very, very impressive. And I know he really loves coaching New Zealand. It, it's, it's, he, he's said before that it's one of the great coaching experiences of, of his life is coaching that team. So even if things do go south to the Tigers and Michael Maguire doesn't end the year as their coach, I would still fully expect him to lead the Kiwis at the World Cup. Okay. And, and just finally, uh, Ricky Stewart. Uh, I love Ricky Stewart. Uh, I think he's one of those... Uh, fantastic coaches, and, and I love to see his reaction from time to time. Are we going to see a happy Ricky Stewart this weekend? Are they going to upset the Panthers? Oh, Smithy, I'm a Raiders man to my core, right? I, I bleed green. I really do. They're no chance. They're going <laughs> to have a thousand put on them. Oh, it's going to be, Smithy, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be a massacre. Like, Penrith are just playing at such a high level right now. They're just so confident, composed, and tough. They know exactly what they want to do and exactly how they're going to do it. And Canberra are just, they're a bit of a rabble. They're a bit of a mess right now. Like, they have individuals playing well, but they don't seem to know how to combine as a team. They, Ricky Stewart came out last week and, and really savaged the effort of some of these players after the loss to the Cowboys. But then he barely made any changes as well. So, I don't know. Barring, barring one of the all-time ambushes, I'm expecting Penrith to put a bit of a score on them. Oh, I feel sorry for you, mate. But uh, however, you've had some great days. Let's not forget you've had, you've had some great days. Feel some pain. Feel some pain. Remember, we're the Warriors on the side of the Tasman, mate. Hey, been fantastic, fantastic to to catch up with you, Nick, and get your insight into what's going on in the NRL and that uh, forecast for this weekend. Thanks for your time, mate. Loved it. No worries, Smithy. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, cheers, uh, Nick Campton there from Australia. Uh, we shall take a break here. We'll have the panel very shortly here on SENZ. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Very pleased to say that uh, we are joined this morning by James Regan from uh, News Hub, Ross Carl from uh, Sky TV this morning. Good morning, gentlemen. James, can I start with you first? Uh, they'll be popping the corks at TV3. I see they've announced they've got uh, the free-to-air coverage of the Women's World Cup. How cool. Yeah, yeah, really cool. They've kind of been in the rumour mill uh, around these parts for a little bit, but to see the release uh, this morning and the fact that it's going to be on free-to-air with, with heaps of games is great. So really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a great occasion, obviously, for women's rugby um, in New Zealand. And hopefully, yeah, the Blackfords can make it all the way to the final and you can watch it on TV3. So, yeah, it's great. And it's uh, probably logistically from uh, that point of view um, not such a hard thing to cover because 
it's only really in two venues, Whangarei and Auckland. It's not as if uh, you have to ship uh, production and all that sort of thing around the whole country. Yeah, 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 it's definitely looking like that. It's going to be a cracker, hopefully. Um, obviously, we can get packed crowds at Eden Park for that first game, the Blackburns Australia. So, yeah, really excited, really excited to the TV3 is going to be a part of it along with Spark. So, um, yeah, we can't wait. And, uh, it's going to be an amazing occasion. So that means uh, I've got to come across to you, Ross Carl, and uh, you can get uh, a chance to uh, throw the tennis ball up and whack it too, because uh, well, the rugby league ball in this case, because uh, Sky and Discovery are now in partnership to show the NRL and State of Origin games free to air, starting with uh, the Warriors versus Storm this weekend. Yeah, I think what you're seeing from Sky and from Spark, by the sounds of it as well, is an understanding of. Uh, what's required to grow the game as a behind-the-wall broadcaster, you still have some sort of responsibility to make sure that the, ga- the game grows and you reach casual fans, not just diehard fans who are subscribing all the time. So you've got those people talking around the water cooler and more interested in the product and therefore more willing to tune in throughout the year. So in the case of the Warriors slash State of Origin deal where there's I think, a couple of Warriors games against the Storm and the Rabbits and then State of Origin 1, you know, TV3 having that, um, allows people who are casual fans to get more of a view of it, get into it, and grow the game and grow the interest in the game, and that's a benefit to the game and Sky in the long run. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, a couple of uh, issues around rugby. Uh, Ross, if we can start with you. It's been an ugly episode, I think it's fair to say, um, after the release of that for review for the Black Ferns, but uh, now uh, they've got to go forward and go forward very quickly, which means they have to appoint a coach. Uh, I read an endorsement from Corey Sweeney, who is now the Sevens coach, Blackburn Sevens coach, saying that um, the, the man he succeeded, Alan Bunting, would be a really good choice for the job. We're, we're really no better off or no closer to it. We need to hear, don't we? Yeah, look, it needs to happen very, very quickly. Bunting seems like a great fit, doesn't he? He led the Chiefs, obviously, and he did a wonderful job with the Blackburn Sevens. And I think as much as what he did with the Blackburn Sevens, as well as making them a good footy team, is... After they got that silver in the Olympics in 2016, he had a look from the ground up at the culture and got the players to buy into an ethos and allowed them to help build it. And therefore, you know, whenever you see that Blackburn Sevens team talking about each other as sisters, it's it's real. You know, they're very tight. They live in the same city and it's all on. So I suppose the challenge for Alan Bunting, if he was to get it, would be to recreate that. But with a team that's quite divided across the country. And when I say divided, I mean geographically divided. You know, there are hubs in Hamilton and Christchurch and wherever else for players to train. But getting that team together and building that culture won't be as easy. I suppose the other question is, you know, that elite 15s coaching that he probably hasn't had at that highest level, but when you've got Wayne Smith to back you up, you probably don't need quite as much of that. If I can make one more point on this, Smitty, um, I think Christina Sue said on the breakdown this week, you know, that we really need to be pushing some of our female coaches. And I think it's a really good chance to get people like Wayne Smith and, and Alan Bunting in because really, you know, while there's probably some very good coaches coming up, Whitney Hanson, Mel Bosman, there are, you know, the next level of professional women's players in 10 years' time will probably be the people who are at the heart of coaching the women's game in the long term. And I think NZR needs to really make sure that those players have got opportunities to spend time with elite coaches. And unfortunately, at the moment, that only really comes from the male ranks because of the way it's always been, um, to learn more about the game and the structures and all the things that have 
been learned in men's professional rugby over 25 years and build the women's game to a point where it's coached by women. I'm going to get to your perspective on this uh, very shortly, James, if, uh, if you can hold the line, and you too, Ross, as well. We'll, we'll go to a quick uh, news break and then we'll come back because um, there are points, more points to discuss around it. Uh, it is 10.30 and here's Ottawa. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Yes, Ross Carl and James Regan with us this morning on the panel. James, and uh, some good points made there uh, from Ross, I feel, about uh, females getting involved more heavily in the uh, the top line of coaching of all sports in New Zealand, but particularly rugby as it's topical at the moment. I'll be interested to see, James, too, uh, when all those World Cup squads come to New Zealand for the World Cup towards the end of the year, how many of them will have either women head coaches or women senior coaches uh, hanging around the, the male influence on the side? For me... Uh, if I go, uh, if I gauge it by the women's cricket World Cup, um, at this stage, I don't think there will be many. Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting to see where these other countries are at, and I guess for us as New Zealanders to get a look at where they're at, because you know, going off that Black Ferns review, certainly, you know, things things definitely have to change, and it'll be interesting to see where we kind of measure up compared to the rest of the world. So. It, it is a great opportunity for New Zealand to bring as many people into these Blackman, into the Blackman's environment as we can because it's a home World Cup. So it's easy uh, to bring people in and to get different people's perspective. And, and as Ross said, I guess, let people understand what that environment is like and, and give them the best opportunity to, to grow from it. Um, because we've got, a, we've got a great opportunity to do that because it's at home and as opposed to you know travelling around the world and getting ready for the for an overseas World Cup, it's right on our backyard. So uh, it'll be certainly interesting to see how it goes over the next few weeks and few months and who gets involved. But yeah, definitely that there has to be some kind of female influence in there. But they said that after the after the White Ferns World Cup that they would like to see some kind of female influence within their coaching ranks. It doesn't have to necessarily be the head coach, but it's a different environment and it would be great to see um, see that injected into the black zones as well. You guys, you news hounds guys, uh, keep your nose very closely to uh, the ground and trying to pick up on things. New Zealand Rugby, uh, James, have uh, init- uh, initially said that we'll hear who the new coach is this week. Well, it's Thursday already. Uh, are you hearing anything? Have you heard any prospective candidates for that uh, Black Ferns role? Oh, uh, yeah, the, Sorry, James? They, uh, I know they, they want to release it as soon as they can. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes or whether there's any kind of delay, but it would make sense for everyone involved to have, uh, have some kind of direction as soon as possible. So I'm sure hopefully it will be this week, and if not, early next week. Okay, Ross, uh, I'll come across to you on... I'll stay on, uh, uh, on rugby and... Uh, interesting, I read a, an article and it was part of my sermon this morning about uh, <coughs> referees uh, being subject to uh, comment from uh, captains in uh, post-match interviews. And it's happened twice in two weeks, which has been riveting television. I've got to say, the Artie Saviera yeah. one I was right in the middle of it and I, I found it cool to get some honesty about the thing. But apparently we're not allowed to have that. Uh, and I just wonder, uh, Ross, in this day and age with professionalism and accountability and players under scrutiny for everything on and off the field, whether it's time to change that rule. Time to change that attitude. Well, it's certainly made for great TV, doesn't it? Um, and I suppose there's an element of rugby which is kind of 
lacking that other sports have, and that's maybe the soap opera aspect. It's it's far tidier, I suppose, in a PR way when you look across at the Premier League and managers are taking pot shots at everyone and you look at, you know, drive to survive and, you know, drivers are getting into some serious um, fights with each other, etc. It's part of the sporting entertainment package now. So in a way, I'm on board with them saying whatever the hell they want. And certainly if they're asked a question, they should be able to give an honest answer. I suppose looking at it from another point of view, though, it, people should be careful when they get on ivory towers. Um, players on a weekly basis admit that they push the rules to the very, very limit. Um, especially flankers, <laughs> push the rules to the very limit. Um, there are a million rules in rugby. You can make any ruling any way that you like. There are so many things that you can't see within the game as a referee, and it's very hard to adjudicate, even in a slow-mo, to get things perfectly right. So when players are intentionally pushing the rules to the limit, that makes them complicit in the decisions that are made. And I feel like maybe before they fire up the refs, having a good look at themselves as to whether or not them and their teams played a part in the rules being pushed and the decisions being made um, should be a thing that they consider. Teams that are right now have a professional ref aligned with each Super Rugby franchise. So Paul Williams is with the Crusaders. Uh, Ben O'Keefe is with the Hurricanes. They get in there every week, talk about decisions, why they're made, how they're made, and work through with the teams, which in my view is a really good method of fixing these kind of problems. But obviously they haven't fixed to the point where Aaron Smith or Adi Sarve are happy at the end of a game that they've lost. Um, so maybe it's a matter of, in the, in the meantime, when you set up a process like that, show some faith in the process, and if it hasn't worked in a period of time, then go back and have a look at it after that as to whether or not you should be making big public statements. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I just kind of feel, you know, I mean... Oh, I've been watching the coverage of sport for a long, long time, been involved in it myself, and I just think the time has come um, that, you know, we, we can hear from them. I mean, it's not just uh, an amateur job anyway, anymore, refereeing. I made the point that these guys, are, are, it's a career path, it's a, it's a way, and in most career paths, when you're on a six-figure salary, uh, you're pretty much accountable uh, for, for what you do. Uh, but it doesn't seem, uh, that Ross, that this is the case here, and, and it I, I just wonder whether attitudes, just attitudes overall, have to just be a little bit more open-minded about the whole deal. I, I'm not saying that just you line them up and you know like a dartboard and throw things at them, but I think when valid questions uh, have to be answered, they should be. Well, 100%. I'm with you on that, and I think the questions that were asked of both Aaron and Adi and the answers that were given were fair ones. Um, but I suppose when you look at it from an employer's point of view, the refs and the players are actually colleagues. And if I was to come on here and throw one of my colleagues under the bus on national TV, it wouldn't be looked at very approvingly by my other colleagues. So I suppose you've just got to be careful around that aspect of it. But I do agree with you. There has to be a certain amount of honesty. And maybe there's a balance here. Maybe it's about getting the refs on to have a chat post-game and say, hey, look, this has just been said. What do you make of it and what happened? So there is balance. So the refs do have a voice. And uh, that's probably the thing that really maybe needs to be in place here. I mean, James, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to front up to a post-rugby uh, media conference and have uh, access to a referee just explaining crucial decisions? Uh, w- wouldn't you like that? Yeah, that, that'd be great. Whether that's the way um, things will go or, or the way they should go, I don't know. But having players speak honestly and giving their honest thoughts after a game is what fans want to see. It's what drives, um, I guess, people to, to watching the game because they like the, the soap opera and the characters and they can relate to 
a player, um, you know, the captain of that team after a game, after a tough decision, saying, you know, I don't, I don't know what went on there. That was, that was pretty frustrating. I take Aaron Smith. You mentioned Adi Savi as another example, but Aaron Smith, he didn't feel disrespectful. It wasn't personal towards any any referee or official. He kind of the best he could under the emotion and, and the you know the hype of what had just happened. Constructed an argument to what he kind of saw, and, and it was pretty decent. And it wasn't um, you know inflammatory or anything anything like that. It was just his honest thoughts. And I guess it would be disappointing if if New Zealand rugby or, or the governing bodies kind of pull him aside and say, oh, you can't say that. Because it was just his honest thoughts. And if he can't say that, and if he can't have some kind of emotion in this game that we that we watch and we you know that we turn out to to enjoy every week, then, then what's the point? Uh, compare it to NRL, you often see characters and, and you know coaches push the line when it comes to refereeing and, and talking about referees. Um, and we want to see more of that in rugby. In a time when you when you're competing for eyeballs like never before, you want a little bit of a, a little bit of niggle and a little bit of raw honesty and emotion, not bordering on disrespectful, but just just saying it how it is. And if it was wrong, it was wrong. And if they felt they were hard done by, then they should be able to say that without any fear of punishment. I think I think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, Ross tennis Wimbledon, uh, long perceived as being the pillar of. Um, of the right thing to do, shall we say, in tennis, and leave it at that, uh, have now officially banned Russian and Belarusian tennis players from the tournament this year because of the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, and the fact that the ATP is um, coming from a different point of view and doesn't like what Wimbledon have done um, and don't like the precedent it's set, I, you know, I, I think that everyone's relatively in agreement that the Russians shouldn't be in in Ukraine and that sanctions have to be had. Do they hit people on an individual level? Um, Should you be able to play and represent Russia and allow the Russian kind of brand to grow based on that? And certainly the way that Putin um, enjoys to push sports stars and and physical activities, I I think they'd certainly use it. Um, But, you know, Azarenka, Medvedev, Sabalenka, are they people who should be denied a right to, to, to work? It's, it's such a difficult one to get your head around, isn't it? Um, but I certainly think that the ATP and Wimbledon, if they weren't around the table before this decision was made and discussing it, um, and they couldn't find an agreement to make this work together, there's an even bigger issue within tennis as to finding one direction for what is a problem for a global game um, where all tournaments are sanctioned by the same body, and yet some of you know, the French Open are allowing it to happen, Wimbledon's not. It seems messy, and they need to get the house in order. They do indeed, um, and I totally agree with that. Seems uh, that's been the order of the day, actually, getting your house in order. Uh, Ross Carl, James Regan, thank you very much for your time this morning, uh, gentlemen. There will be uh, another panel at the same time tomorrow morning. Plenty to discuss as uh, the week of sport uh, rolls on. It's 10.43 here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly with some texts, uh, and then uh, we'll have uh, a visit to the TAB and talk to Louis Herman Watt before 11 o'clock. Uh, two or three texts that have come in. Uh, Simon, uh, who texts in uh, regularly with uh, interesting observations, uh, talking about uh, the post-match comments from players, says uh, these would be the same players that don't like their performance criticised publicly, with a question mark. Well, 
Uh, to be honest, they, they, I think they're pretty used to that, particularly if Ben been about as long as Artie Savia uh, and Aaron Smith, um, whether you've played 100 games for the All Blacks or uh, 80 games for the All Blacks or you've captained the All Blacks as they both had, I think you're pretty used to criticism along the way. Um, and uh, they were, I think, fully within their rights, Simon. And uh, all I'm wanting is uh, just a little bit, bit more accountability. Uh, Simon goes on to say, will the refs then be able to comment on how well the players do? That's a problem. I don't. I wouldn't, wouldn't worry me if, I, if a referee was to make comment on the way a, a team had played or whatever. Well, I don't give a damn if he was given the forum to do it. Uh, he's, I mean, he's in the best seat, isn't he? Best seat in the house. That'll never happen. Uh, just as a, we won't get, ever get to the stage where we're able to um, ask referees exactly what they were thinking when they made a particular decision. We just won't be able to do that. Uh, right, Craig, uh, I Smithy, would we as a, a rugby supporting public be more tolerant to a player making a mistake, possibly costing a game, than we would a referee making a mistake? Well, uh, it, it's an interesting question, actually, Craig. Both players and refs are doing a job. Both are human and both are prone to mistakes. Yes, they are, but players make a lot more mistakes, uh, don't they, than referees. It just sometimes it seems that, and you know, that most players will make a mistake in a game. But it just seems to me from time to time that, uh, and it's not every game, uh, that there are crucial moments in the game that go unanswered. Uh, is, is that, is that a, is it too asking too much to turn around and then say, well, what was the reason? What was the reason for that? Um, oh, look, just a thought, just a, a thought to prompt some discussion, and we've, we've had uh, plenty of it th- this morning on that particular issue. Uh, Warriors versus the Roosters bunker, have they, have, uh, they sacked Ben Annesley? Said that they got it, Annesley said they got it wrong. Um, well, they do over there, uh, don't they, in the NRL, have had a history in the past of dropping players uh, or referees or officials down the level um, as not like a punishment, well, I suppose it is a punishment really, but as a, just a reminder that you know, you've got certain standards to meet, go down and if you've lost confidence in your ability to referee, uh, go down a level and get it back. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that's a terrible thing to do. They drop players from time to time when their form isn't too good. They make genuine mistakes, so... Mm. Uh, good talking point though, it's 10.51 here on SENZ, bit of racing and a bit of punting before 11. Your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Uh, Louis Herman Watt joins us now, and uh, no uh, thoroughbred racing in New Zealand uh, today or tomorrow, but uh, we are looking forward to a weekend where there's uh, racing at Pukekohe Park, Rickerton Park, and a big stakes day uh, at Caulfield as well, uh, Louis, so uh, plenty still to look forward to, even uh, even though you might think it's sort of heading through into the silly season, the wet season. Yeah, it's starting to slow down a little bit, Smithy, but Saturday, there's actually a really good race at Pukekohe. Uh, it's the Group 2 race number 6, Trelawney Stud Championship Stakes. And it's kind of for these staying three-year-olds that either didn't quite make the derby or took a different path or didn't quite go well in the derby. And this is a ripper. We've got Ruark, which ran really well in behind Amalfi Prince last start for Ben Foot. You've got Pinarello who was scratched out of that Manawatu Classic right in the market. And I think Pinarello, even though he's drawn wide, is going to have to be the one to beat. Hoard the Bourbon, who's getting a little bit soft in the market early doors. 
but has won two on the road, two on the trot for Marshy. And then you've got a couple of interesting runners. One being titled from the uh, John O'Benner Holly Wynyard stable, who is an eleven start maiden, but it's got all of the quality in the world. Just can't quite put it together and hasn't been able to win in some midweek races. But with Opie on, great gear change. You never know. And Ling Zhong Zhong Feng. So that's race six at Pukakaui. And uh, over at Randwick, Smithy, I thought you'd find this really interesting. James McDonald. This is just his book of rides this weekend. These are all rough prices. Race one, $2.90. Race two, $5. Race three, 4 bucks. Race four, two twenty. Race five, five fifty. Race six, two ten. Seven dollar eighty five. Race eight, about two thirty. Race nine, four fifty or so. And race ten, three sixty. So that is James McDonald's book of rides at Randwick this weekend. Just shows you how much support he gets from the leading trainers. And about a buck twenty on the jockeys challenge, I'd imagine. Louis Herman, what? Thank you very much for your time this morning. Let's uh, pop across uh, to the TAB where Pip Morris is uh, waiting for us. Eddington and Cambridge today, Greyhounds, Pip. He certainly is, Smithy. Good morning to you. Lots to look forward to for the Greyhounds. Quite like wheels on fire, too, in a later race there at Cambridge, coming out of a really good final last time and drew wide this time he's in box three. So I think he looks a really good chance, I think, in race 11. And on the sports side of things, of course, you can get involved in the oval ball mega multi-buster place uh, four legs or more. And you miss by one, Smithy. You can get a bonus bet up to $50 in your account and on multis. There's been plenty on the sports side of things. A 1.2k box multi for the Cronulla Sharks, Parramatta Eels, South Sydney Rabbitohs and the Sydney Roosters all 1 to 12 to win around $10,000. And there's been $500 on Manly Seagulls head to head at 265 as well to uh, beat the Sharks, which is interesting, even though the 58% of the winning team and margin bets are on Cronulla 1 to 12. So really good options there. And of course, got the NRL bonus back, winning team and margin. Your team wins, but you get the incorrect margin. You can get a bonus of up to fifty dollars. Really looking forward to round seven starting tonight. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.03 here on SENZ and uh, I preempt this next uh, segment of the show by saying I am a Tottenham Hotspur fan and uh, have been for a long, long time and therefore uh, we cop so much crap from people over the, the years for the fact that our side is so unpredictable yeah, and so, um, so disappointing when it comes to putting trophies in the cabinet that we don't mind dishing it out from time to time and we don't mind dishing it out to people who support Manchester United because they've got more trophies uh, over the years than uh, most can ever even dream about. But not now. Things aren't going too good, uh, which is a perfect time to bring in Ricardo Ball uh, to talk football with us for the next uh, 15 minutes or so. On the back of uh, dropping uh, a match to Liverpool by 4-0 yesterday, uh, Ricardo Ball, 4-0. Very disappointing. In fact, did I see where Roy Keane was um, all over them like a rash saying it was disgraceful? Yeah, you did. Yeah, and, and then he followed it up by saying he's not even angry anymore, he's just sad. Uh, and Gary Neville doubled down on that and said Manchester United are broken. Um, the club is broken, and yeah, it's hard to disagree with him. You know, um, being a United fan, I think, I mean, I've been watching the team uh, for a long, long time. I started following them in the late 70s, um, and, you know, I thought the game against Everton where we lost 1-0 is probably the worst performance I've ever seen from any any United team. 
but that first half against Liverpool wouldn't have been far, too far behind, to be honest. And if you can't get up for a game against your biggest rival and get stuck in, then then what are you getting up for? So, yeah, uh, you know, the talk is that there's going to be 12 players go out the door, um, and you know it, it's going to have to be a complete rebuild. And I mean, at this point, you know, the, particularly with Arsenal winning this morning, uh, and the way Spurs um, have been going, I, I can't see us getting uh, that Champions League spot. In fact, we're probably lucky to, to qualify for Europe at all the way things are cracking. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. I know they've been without uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, over the last uh, game or two, which is incredibly sad. Um, and, you know, mm. there'll be a lot of uh, feeling within the team and within the club and around the world. But I, I look at Manchester United as a fan base. Uh, and there's not too many bigger ones uh, around the world. That are, I mean, the Yankees are right up there. You probably see Yankees caps, but Manchester United shirts are just as, as prominent. So it's not just like it's uh, central to Manchester, is it? No, that's the thing. It gets felt everywhere, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when you've got a big fan base like that, and, you know, I mean, fingers have been pointed for a long time. I mean, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, you know, got a lot of stick for a long, long time, um, but his team didn't do this. Uh, you know, you, you look at, I, you know, I pointed to the other day to Villarreal, um, who have knocked out uh, Juventus and Bayern Munich out of the Champions League this season. Well, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer took this Manchester United squad to Spain and beat them 2-0, uh, which would suggest to me that he's actually not that bad a manager and, and, and he isn't the problem. Um, I think there's been, uh, there's been a lot of fractures in the dressing room. Um, I think the sooner the club sees the back of people like Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard, the better. I think um, it's all about uh, your brand and your personal, uh, you know, your personal Instagram account rather than anything else for a lot of those guys, and uh, rather than about the club. And I, I think that needs to go, and that's something that's been hammered home uh, by a few people as well. So yeah, I think there's going to be massive changes, and it's probably going to be a while before we see Manchester United back on top. And you know, as United fans. Uh, you reduce to hoping Manchester City win the title so that you can stay uh, one ahead of Liverpool. Well, next up uh, on Saturday night New Zealand time, uh, they play Arsenal, and I can uh, mm. inform uh, people that don't know at home, uh, Arsenal knocked over Chelsea this morning 4-2 away. So that uh, is a handy result uh, and something for Manchester United to look forward to there. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how United front. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Ralph Rangnick does with the team. To be fair, I mean, you know, Paul Pogba uh, went off injured in the first 10 minutes against Liverpool after the first goal had been conceded. And the general feeling amongst Manchester United fans, I know Andrew Gordy tweeted something about this as well, uh, and he wasn't the only one. It's like, you know, he went off with a calf injury, but everybody thinks he actually pulled his can't-be-effed muscle um, and just and just wanted out, you know, and, and that's <laughs> been a big... A, 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 a big problem for United and, and the fan base with Pogba because they, you know they, they think his attitude's not great um, and, and you see that seep through. So what sort of team United put out is going to be interesting. Um, Arsenal, it was a great win for them this morning, although uh, I think Thomas Tuchel said it best when he said that um, Chelsea, you know, they might have lost 4-2, but really they set up six goals because, um, no, five goals, I should say, because, you know, there was a bad penalty they gave away. Andreas Christensen made a bad back pass that gave Saka a one-on-one. He was basically saying, look, Arsenal didn't create much. We we just, we just were poor. And uh, top, uh, sorry, Chelsea were without quite a few players as well in their defence. And they had a random shape. Tuchel made some strange tactical decisions. And Arsenal profited. And you've got to remember that Arsenal before that had lost to Crystal Palace, Brighton and Southampton. 
in three games in a row. Mm. So I don't think Arsenal are in a great spot at the moment. This win will definitely help them, obviously. Um, and, but it's all on United now to, to show that some fight and go to the Emirates on, on Saturday night New Zealand time. Uh, it's 11.30 to kick off. Uh, and, and, and try and get something. Try and get a win and get back into that fight for the, for the top four. But, I mean, you know, Bruno Fernandes has come out and said, after that game, Liverpool are fighting for the title. We don't fight for anything. That's the difference, you know, and mm. you can see how disheartened and disappointed he is. Um, so, like I say, yeah, what that team looks like, what Ralph Ranjit does between now and then is, is going to be very interesting. And I think, like most United fans, uh, can't wait for the season to finish, to be fair. Well, you're dead right in saying that Liverpool are fighting for the table, and they did that with that 4-0 win over the United. But that was countered this morning by Manchester City uh, with a 3-0 win over Brighton. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Manchester City were clinical this morning. I mean, Brighton, as I mentioned, uh, had beaten Arsenal. They'd also beaten Tottenham. Their last two games, they'd gone to Arsenal, gone to Tottenham. So they'd both been away and they'd won both uh, both those games. So they're a, a team that plays decent brand of football. They're hard to score against. They're hard to break down. And they make life difficult for teams. Um, at the moment, they currently sit 10th in the table. If they finish there, that'll be the highest uh, league finish in their history, um, which gives you an idea of how how well they are going. And, uh, yeah, they gave City a really good game. It was nil all at half-time. And, uh, and and then City got one early in the second half, which meant that Brighton had to open up a bit more to try and pull one back. And then uh, City were able to capitalise. And, and they won 3-0 in the end. But that's what champion teams do. You know, they, they, they play tough teams who sit in and make life difficult for you. And they find a way to win. And uh, that's what Manchester City have done. And I tell you, it's going to be blow for blow. There's six games left for both Liverpool and City. Uh, for the rest of the season, and it's going to go back and forward, back and forward as, as these two duke it out. And to be honest, I don't think either can afford to drop any points. I think they're both going to, you know, if they want to win the title, they have to win out. Elsewhere, uh, Everton won, Leicester won, uh, but also a very interesting result too towards the bottom of the table, and uh, the news just seems to get a little bit better uh, game by game for Newcastle, knocking over Crystal Palace uh, 1-0. Mm. Chris Wood starting in that game. In fact, I think he played the whole 90 but uh, there is speculation that uh, he might be moving on. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think, you know, it was a tactical transfer by Newcastle. At the time that they signed him, he was at Burnley, and they were very much in a, in a relegation scrap, and Burnley was one of the biggest competitors in that relegation scrap, and they took their, their top goal scorer off them. Uh, he hasn't quite delivered, to be fair. I think mean, he's only scored twice uh, since he's been at Newcastle, uh, which isn't what you would have expected from Chris Wood. Um, but, I, I mean, I think Newcastle are on the up and up, you know, particularly with all the money they've got from um, the new owners, uh, the Saudi Arabians. They will be looking in the next transfer window to go again and to build that squad and to, to make improvements. And, you know, if you, uh, they'll, they'll be looking at, I would imagine, they will have set Eddie Howe some targets and the target probably for next season, once you've, had an off-season to build and, and, and get uh, some transfers in and, and spend some money, will be to be knocking on the door of Europe um, and, and the Europa League. And will they see Chris Wood as a starting striker in a team that gets to the Europa League? Probably not. Um, uh, will he be happy to be an off-the-bench type striker at this part, part, of, part of his career uh, at his club like Newcastle? I don't know. You'd have to ask him that. But it would not surprise me if you see Chris Wood move on. Where would he go? Uh, a lot of questions there. I mean, he could do worse than 
than going to somewhere like Everton if they stay up um, because, you know, Everton financially are in a lot of trouble. They're going to have to shift a whole bunch of players. Um, so the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison will probably go, so they'll need to look for someone and he might be a bit of a bargain that they, they can get in. Uh, and just before we get back to the Phoenix, uh, during the week, of course, it was confirmed that uh, Derby County would drop. Now, a lot of those points that they lost were administrative problems, so uh, not really the mm. finger being pointed at their manager, Wayne Rooney, but uh, what about Derby? Um, that's what, down to the third tier now? Uh, <coughs> once proud yeah. club? Yeah, very much so. You know, I mean, Derby County, particularly in the 70s, uh, were, we, we used to be the first division, pre-Premier League days were, were always there or thereabouts. Um, you know, they were, they were a massive club. Uh, and, you know, they've still got a massive fan base. They're, they're one of those clubs, a bit like Nottingham Forest. You know, about the same size as Leicester City. There's a lot of potential there. It's actually a pretty big club with a big fan base. Uh, new American owner uh, hasn't been officially signed off, but looks like that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, he seems to be uh, talking the talk. He said that, um, they, you know, they're not going to have this huge amount of money, but there will be enough money to replenish the squad because, and this is what Wayne Rooney's dealing with, uh, come the end of the season, uh, they're only going to have five contracted players. Um, so a lot of players they've had have come in on loan or on short-term deals because of all the uh, transfer sanctions against them because of their financial state. And they lost 21 points through deductions because of going into administration and things. And uh, it's only now with two games left of officially being relegated, which shows you what a great job Wayne Rooney's done. I mean, given this, the players that he's lost and the squad that he's got, if they didn't have that points deduction, I think they'd be sitting 14th in the table, which is uh, pretty damn good. Yeah, I think he's done a really good job. And, you know, I hold my hand up. I didn't think he would be a success as a manager. I didn't, I, I didn't really see it. But uh, he's done a great job there at Derby County. And, you know, there's... He, he turned down, apparently, uh, the chance to manage Everton that when Frank Lampard got the job because he was committed to Derby and wanted to see it through. He felt he owed them, which I think is, you know, is really good to see. But I don't know that Frank Lampard lasts beyond the end of this season, uh, given, given how his tenure at Everton's been. And, you know, Wayne Rooney would make sense for, for Everton. You know, he's, a, he's an Everton old boy, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. He's also a Manchester United old boy, uh, Ricardo, as we well know, with a proud history of scoring goals, etc. There, and, and if he's that good a manager, is he not wasted way down there in Division Three? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I think so. I mean, I, it's hard to say. I mean, we saw Frank Lampard, you know, going back to him, uh, have a season with Derby County in the championship. Uh, he got them to sixth. He, they got into the playoffs and got knocked out. And then the next season, he was the Chelsea manager. And that didn't work um, in the long term because I think he needed time to develop and time to learn the trade. And I think Rooney will be, you know, he could be in that same basket. I mean, he has done things a lot tougher than Frank Lampard did them because uh, Frank Lampard had all the money in the world um, when he was at Derby and, and couldn't quite get it done. So I think you see Rooney's probably the better manager based on the track record. Uh, third tier, I mean, it might not be the worst idea for him to have another year um, managing mm. at that level and just getting to getting to know the job, but I, I think given his profile, the chances are he'll be offered something he probably can't say no to. Wellington Phoenix play the Western Sydney Wanderers Eden Park on Sunday. Uh, I would imagine uh, Ricardo Ball might be going there unless you're working for us. That is, of course. Uh, and if you do go, you'll I'm be looking for a really. much better result. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. we'll be looking for a, a much better result, Ricardo, than we saw in Wellington last week. 
definitely a much better result. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, second game of the season, the Wellington Phoenix beat Central Coast Mariners 2-1. Since then, uh, a team that's middling and is outside of the playoffs um, has caused some teams some problems but can't put a consistent run together. We've lost two games to them, 5-0 and 4-0, in the last couple of months, which is a bit of a head-scratcher to me as to why that's happening. Um, So... Uh, I think the Western Sydney Wanderers um, coming to town is going to be uh, is going to be a great challenge. They played last night and uh, they were three 0 up after thirty minutes and ended up winning three two against Newcastle Jets. They were hanging on a bit towards the end, uh, and they're a club that seems to have the opposite problem to the Phoenix. You know, the Phoenix if they if they don't score first, they lose the game. Uh, well, Western Sydney mm. Wanderers have, have scored first a lot and given up leads, and we nearly saw them do it again last night. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting matchup. And of course, uh, there's the story too with uh, Mark Rudan, the former Phoenix coach who left uh, in controversial circumstances, is loathed by Phoenix fans. They call him the snake because of the way he left the club and took players with him. And he's uh, back at the helm of Western Sydney Wanderers. So there's, there's that story too. But yeah, uh, I will be there watching the game, but I will be there sitting alongside Chris Milicic calling the game for SENZ. Fantastic. So I look forward to that. Uh, we'll continue to, uh, to plug that. Um, and that will mean, of course, if you, you know, if you were going to Eden Park, then no doubt uh, you've got your business class tickets booked to Doha on June the 14th <laughs> for the All Whites in Costa Rica. SENZ will be covering that for you too. Yeah, obviously. I, I, Hutch hasn't returned my calls on that just yet, but uh, I'm, I'm sure he's just working on the uh, the details in the background, Smithy, and yeah, no, no doubt I'll be there calling it live for SEN's head. No, but looking forward to that. June 14, what, a, what an occasion it'll be. It's just a pity that we don't, you know, it's not here, but um, I think it's actually June 15 New Zealand time. By the time it kicks off, it'll be mm. it'll be a Sparrow's fart in the morning, but uh, no, what a, what a great opportunity. It's the end of the season too, so we'll have all our players available to be na- Nothing to worry about in terms of getting players released. So hopefully we should see Danny Hayes' best uh, all-whites team available uh, out there against that, that Costa Rican team. And really looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's exciting. You know, the biggest game in New Zealand football for 13 years, really, you'd have to say, for the all-whites. Mm, it's fascinating. Fascinating and uh, I think winnable in a one-off situation. So... Uh, I look forward to that, uh, really do. Uh, I love those uh, those big occasions. Uh, Ricardo, enjoy Eden Park, uh, and thank you very Hello, much mate. for your time uh, this, morn- uh, this morning, and uh, good luck. Uh, I know it sets your tone for the week, so from all of our point of view, let's just hope you can get some points at Arsenal, eh? Yeah, well, indeed, mate. I mean, nobody wants to see Arsenal win, let's be honest. No, they don't. Uh, absolutely. You're dead right as a Spurs fan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. I, I, I detest them. Test them, mate. It's 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 eleven nineteen. Thanks, Ricardo. Eleven nineteen here on uh, SENZ. We'll be back very shortly. There's shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's time to go around the world here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Of course, producer Logan in the chair here, going around the world, all the news headlines around the world that is taking my fancy and Smithy. A uh, bit of a, this is going to be an all-encompassing NBA playoffs injury update uh, for those of you uh, wondering what's going on and who, which teams you should pick. Starting with... 
the Phoenix Suns and Devin Booker. He is likely to miss games three and four against the New Orleans Pelicans with a mild right hamstring strain, but he hasn't been ruled out for the rest of the opening round, uh, according to ESPN. The Suns are still evaluating results of an MRI to get a full picture of the injury and are hoping a clearer timeline uh, of a return will come from that. Booker had a prolific first uh, half in Game 2, scoring 31 points and nailing seven three-pointers, but he appeared to tweak his right hamstring later in the game. Uh, He merely asked for a timeout and went to the locker room. After Booker went down, the Pelicans put together a huge finish to win 125 to 114 to even their first round series 1-1. As Suns are 8-6 and in games without Devin Booker, actually. And game three is Saturday, 1.30pm New Zealand time. Who would you be picking there? Well, uh, look, without Booker, that really does hurt them. Uh, They are a, a wonderful team, Phoenix Suns, and for many... For many, they are uh, one of the uh, top two or three sides to win the NBA title this year. But without him, they won't. It's as simple as that. Uh, he, he is instrumental for so much they do on the court, uh, not just attacking-wise. <coughs> Got great court coverage and very quick as well. So uh, without Devin Booker, they will be sweating on that big time. That, for them, is a very, very, very important decision and uh, an important tendon as well that they have to get right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, And because right now, game two between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics is underway. The Nets are ahead 13-6. They started off on a 9-0 run and the Boston Celtics are starting to come back. The reason why I bring that up though, Smithy, is now Ben Simmons. The Ben Simmons watch is on high alert. They're targeting game four for a realistic target of his season debut. Uh, he was ru- he's obviously been he hasn't been ruled out of game three just yet still a few more hurdles for him to clear uh, in a much shorter window of time to get ready for that game uh, hasn't played an NBA game since last May after being requested for a trade from the Sixers citing mental health issues uh, and Nets coach Steve Nash has remained non-committal on the timeline for any potential return but after yesterday's shoot-around, he said, whenever he is ready, it's going to have to be on him to say, I feel comfortable, I feel ready to go, I want to play, and I want to contribute. But Game 4 seems to be the one the NBA insiders are, are looking at. Well, Ben Simmons is an interesting story, isn't he? I mean, to my, from my point of view, um, if I had been the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, I'd be having the one having mental health problems. <laughs> I was paying him about um, $10 million a year to go to the free throw line and shoot at a percentage around 60%. He got the hippie, hippie shakes when he got to the line. Um, and I think that's added to his woes. And he will continue to get that kind of stick until he's improved. In fact, his ability to shoot the basketball uh, for that amount of money, very poor. Very, very poor. Yep. I mean, if he doesn't have 50 assists in a game, um, he's in trouble. Yeah, uh, with you on that. And just lastly, uh, superstar guard Luka Doncic participated fully in the Dallas Mavericks practice today for the first time since straining his left calf, fueling cautious optimism that he could be pl- uh, could be cleared to play as soon as Game 3 uh, against the Utah Jazz on Thursday. He suffered that injury back on the April 10th regular season finale. Mavs coach Jason Kidd said his decision could be made on his uh, status as soon as tomorrow, which would be great. Uh, but of course, that all comes down to, in large part, the risk of aggravating that injury further. And if it does, it would force him out for the remainder of the playoffs. 
that's interesting. Uh, that's that's cool. So uh, real basketball uh, around the houses there. I got a cricket update for us as well, or some news that just filtered through and across the across my very busy desk. Um, uh, Winston have named their five cricketers of the year, uh, and these uh, Winston is the holy of holy of cricket, right? Uh, that is the reference book that names it. And when Winston says this is it, this is it. Uh, it's five cricketers of the year this year are Ollie Robinson from England. There's a bit of a surprise for me. Jasper Bumrah from India. Don't mind that. Rohit Sharma from India. Don't mind that. Uh, Dane Fun Niekirk, who's the South African all-rounder, uh, who she was not able to uh, partake in the l- recent Cricket World Cup. Uh, she would have added it, uh, to South Africa's strength, but she is a wonderfully good um, all-round cricketer. Uh, so she fully deserves to be in there. And here's the one that'll please us. Devin Conway has uh, also been added as one of the five wisdom cricketers of the year. And on his numbers, it would be hard to deny him that privilege. It is 11.30 here on SENZ, which means it's time for Stump Smithy. Uh, only playing for 50 bucks. I let you, you down yesterday. Only playing for 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers and the sleep drops. But uh, light up the lines. It's 0800 150 811. Uh, we'd love to give you a chance to benefit from my ignorance. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, after my thorough telling off from the boss uh, yesterday, I have changed things up a little bit. It's pad up and grab your bat. It's time to get stumped on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Joining us at the crease first up, we have Mark from Taranaki. Come in, Mark. How you going? Good, mate. How how you doing? I'll give you the category soon, but... Do you feel right. do you feel lucky today? Do you feel lucky? I do feel a bit lucky, yeah. We'll <laughs> see what the categories are. All right. Well, up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet plus some sleep drops, daytime revive. Try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed, sleepdrops.co.nz. The categories for you today, Mark, are New Zealand at the Commonwealth Games, cricket, and Rugby Sevens. Take your pick. Ooh. Tricky one. Mm. Um, always hard to take on Smithy at cricket, but uh, I'm going to do it. Cricket. Oh, okay. Let's go. Can already see uh, Smithy's eyes lighting up. We'll see how you go, mate. See how you go. Last week, New Zealand held their uh, annual cricket awards. So let's see if you were paying attention. Who was awarded the International Test Player of the Year? Uh, wasn't paying attention, to be perfectly honest, but um, <clears throat> I would uh, I would say Devin Conway. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. There you go, Smithy. You literally just talked about Devin Conway just before on the show. <laughs> Yeah, one of the five Western Cricketers of the Year, and that's one of the reasons why he got that award from uh, New Zealand Cricket. Fully, fully deserved. Absolutely. Start on debut yep. with his double century against England at Lords and making two more after that, amassing 767 runs over the season. Huge, huge year for Devin Conway. Well deserved. Second question for you, Mark. Who won the International Women's ODI Player of the Year? Oh. Ooh. Um, or oh, there's, there's two or three I could uh, 
think of um don't think it was Sophie Devine. I'll say Amelia Kerr. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot and away it goes. I liked your deliberation there, Mark. Smithy, I'm sure you had that one in the bag too. Yeah, I had that one nailed. Absolutely nailed. So, Millie uh, Kerr, what a great prospect she is. What a great kid too. Yeah, uh, we had her on the show uh, not long before the Cricket World Cup and uh, she was great to hear from. We'd love to have her back on the show sometime soon. This last question, Mark, we'll see how you go. This might be a little bit more tricky. Without umpires, we don't have cricket. So who won the New Zealand Umpire of the Year at the New Zealand Cricket Awards? God almighty. <laughs> um, New Zealand Umpire of the Year. Um, well, I can't even think. Um, I'll say Chris Gaffney because the only one I can think of. Wow. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot and away it goes. <laughs> Out of the box with a massive stab in the dark there, Smithy. Well, I suppose Chris Gaffney was the obvious answer because he's the best umpire we've uh, got. He's the best one we've had for a long time and he's very, very highly ranked in terms of the ICC. If you can't give it to the best, then uh, you perhaps uh, shouldn't be giving it. So Chris Gaffney uh, certainly was uh, a good answer too for you, Mark. So you got 50 bucks, you've got sleep drops, everything going Taranaki's way. And uh, hey, are you going to be able to play uh, your, your rugby this year? Is it, are you back at Yarrow Stadium or you're in Inglewood again? I believe we're at Yarrow Stadium, Smithy. The, um, they're, they're moving along on the construction. I don't think it'll be completely finished, but uh, but we're going to get there, which will be um, which will be good to to get back there, especially after the season we've had. Barnsley's got the boys going real good. And he's also trained the New Zealand Rugby Union to make sure that um, that this uh, the promotion relegation didn't matter after all that. So we're now playing Barnsley's competition with Barnsley's rules because everyone's in the same <laughs> melting pot. Yeah, yeah, he's a dag, old Barnsley. He, he'll he'll speak his mind, but uh, a good man, and um, I think we'll uh, we'll do very well this year as well. Good on, you, good on you, Mark. Stay on the line, buddy, uh, and Brian will get your details and we'll get those uh, those prizes to you quick, smart. Uh, congratulations on winning this morning. It is uh, 11.38 here on SENZ. Um, when we come back, uh, we've got uh, a greyhound racing pick uh, to uh, uh, outline as well that uh, we will give our proceeds to charity. And, of course, we do that every week with the other shows. And then we'll march towards midday with Staffy. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. Yeah, well, the Greyhounds are coming up this weekend, and as I pointed out before, we are continuing show against show try and raise money for charities. Ours is a women's refuge here in the 9 to 12 slot. Uh, we've got uh, 210 bucks so far uh, to give to that very worthy charity and we want to add to it more by uh, a greyhound race today actually uh, and that's out of Cambridge. It's race number two uh, and our dog is number five, Serbian Ace. Serbian Ace 
is our greyhound uh, for charity this week. So uh, keep an, an ear out for that or an eye out if you're watching Trackside. Race 2, number 5, Serbian Ace. Squeeze box? Mm, not too happy about that, but never mind. Uh, right, uh, a couple of texts that have uh, come in. Craig has said, mate, you didn't let me down yesterday. I do want to beat you sometime on my own ability rather than by default. One day maybe, Craig, I promise you right here and now, I have never, ever lost uh, a game of Stump Smithy on purpose. It is just the fact that um, I don't use Google, I don't use any information at all, I just use my memory. So when I lose, I genuinely lose, and when you win, you genuinely genuinely beat me because um, I don't want to give you free money for nothing. It's as simple as that. The, I, I, I like to build it up, actually, so uh, we can get it up to, say, 200 bucks, 250 bucks, have a week of success, and then... It, Really, the atmosphere goes, the phone lines light up. It just has absolutely crazy. There's tension in the air. It's like a playoff. It's just fantastic. Uh, but at the moment, um, I'm like a flop. It's just like my, my multis. So I don't like to lose uh, my multis either, Craig. So don't worry, mate. You beat me on merit. Uh, and one day, one day, it'll be my turn. You just keep trying. Chris has come in with a, a good long text. I like it. A referee mistake should be able to be corrected by a good TMO. Over 20 years ago, I can remember a radio interview of a referee boss saying they had a, a ref watching the game in 30-second delay to sweep the game for major incidents and law infractions. Does the TMO still do this thoroughly? Uh, the obvious law-breaking by Scott Barrett in the line-out and then in the mall at the end of the Canes versus the Crusaders game, uh, it would seem not. Um, there's an interesting thing about that, Chris. I, I believe once um, a referee... Once the referee and it's Brendan Pickerel blew full time, that was it. There was no chance. Even if the TMO had have had an opportunity to look at that in review uh, whilst the players were still out on the park, once that Brendan Pickerel was blown for full time, that is the end of the penny section. Um, so once that happened, even the TMO spotted something there. Uh, he could not ha- have uh, the ability to get anyone to look at it and change their mind. That was the scenario there. Uh, the blatant unfairness of sending off Josh Dixon and not sending off Omoa during the uh, Highlanders Games game. Yes, I, I find that very interesting as well, and I think that Aaron Smith had a really good point there, uh, it was the fact that they had to do without Dixon, um, but, but the Hurricanes didn't have to do with, uh, without Omoa, um, or uh, you know a replacement for Omoa, uh, because he wasn't spotted at the time. Now, if they'd have gone back, uh, they would have quite clearly seen um, uh, what Safa Omoa had done to Gareth Evans, um, because uh, there must have been evidence, because he's been banned for three weeks. Had they seen it at the time, uh, then, of course, the Highlanders uh, would have had uh, perhaps a numerical advantage over the Hurricanes for 10 minutes, not the other way around. Send all red card offenders, send off all red card offenders, not just some. Chris, very, very good point there. So uh, on that subject as well, um, I just saw an interesting team naming, actually. The Crusaders uh, has come through. Uh, George Bridget fullback this week. Uh, this is uh, a, a good matchup this year. Um, they've got uh, a, a game against the uh, Rebels. The Rebels, the game they should win. It should win comfortably. And that is Sunday, 6.30 New Zealand time. So George Bridge, Sevu Reese, Braden Enoy, Jack Goodhue comes back in. Uh, so how long have we been waiting for Jack Goodhue to come back in uh, to uh, that midfield for the Crusaders? The All Black uh, selectors will be keeping a very close eye on that, and yet another centre pairing for the Crusaders, so that's Enor and Goodhue, Lester Fyanganuku, what a season he's having on the wing, Richie Moonga, 
Mitch Drummond, it just seems that he and Bryn Hall go week to week, don't they, in that starting number nine jersey. Cullen Grace, Ethan Blackadder, Pablo Matera. Better season for Cullen Grace now that he's injury-free. Blackadder, Vore Strong, uh, Matera uh, does a lot of work defensively, doesn't he? Sam Whitelock back in as well, folks. Sam Whitelock back from the, uh, the injured finger. Uh, Zach Gallagher. What a performance from the young man last week, a full 80 minutes. Uh, became the senior lock, of course, once Barrett was dispatched uh, and had to carry that on his own shoulders for quite some time. So Zach Gallagher has been rewarded and he'll get a lot of starts for the Crusaders. Uh, Ollie Yeager, Cody Taylor, George Bauer in the front row, so very powerful there. Jackson, uh, Tamaiti Williams, uh, Fletcher Newell, Dominic Gardner, Corey Kello, Bryn Hall, Fergus Burke and Shea Pihaki. Uh, they are the reserves. So that, my friends, is the kind of Crusaders lineup having lost last week, which will look, I would imagine, very closely at giving the Rebels a hell of a hiding. Um, and <coughs> they could be on the receiving end. The Chiefs, which named a little earlier yesterday, Chase Tia Tia, Jonah Lowe, Alex Nankerville, Ramaka Puepi, Quint Paya, uh, playing on the wing, incidentally. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Bryn Gatlin, Cortez Ratima. Um, and uh, Peter Gus Soakula Peter Gus Soakula some people saying that Peter Gus is in line for an all black call up this year his form has been that good Sam Kane at cap, as captain Luke Jacobson uh, makes up uh, the uh, loose forward trio there for the Chiefs Tupu Vai, Josh Lord Angus Ta'avau, Samasoni Toki Aho uh, and uh, Aidan Ross are the starting players for the Chiefs as well so uh, two of the New Zealand sides uh, being lined up. They haven't at this stage got the Blues side come through uh, or the Hurricanes, but uh, as soon as they come to hand, uh, we will let you know. Um, Smithy, have uh, Super Rugby done away with the captain's challenge? Yes, they have. Players didn't like it. Referees didn't like it. So that has been uh, put on the back burner because Aaron Smith could have asked the rep to double-check that high tackle. No, he didn't have the right to do that, and that's perhaps one of the reasons why he questions it out after the game. So, yep, there's a reason for everything, but it's been interesting this morning talking about that aspect of referees and the ability to question them, uh, get uh, their answers for what their actions have been throughout. Uh, not going to happen in a hurry, I promise you that. It is uh, coming up to 11.51 here on SENZ in the mornings, soon to become SENZ with Staffy in the afternoons. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.